if you will recall, um, this is a little bit of deep background for you. Um, last few, uh, the last few uh, episodes that we've done together, I have made sort of references to the early '70s when these were made, and you know the bunch of them running around dropping acid together, right? Yeah. Um, so I decided to finally, before well, uh, before I uh, signed on tonight, I finally grabbed my copy of Marvel Comics: The Untold Story off the shelf and went looking for that reference. And in looking for that reference, I actually found the this book's background, or not background material, but the story this book tells about the actual comics that were doing Jim Starlin and the Captain Marvels. Oh, really? Yes. Um, check it out. I will uh, dip through the, the relevant sentences here. But here's uh, it, it starts off talking about uh, Roy Thomas and Steve Englehart in the early 70s. Um, basically, Roy wasn't overseeing shit. He, he actually, he flat out told Steve Englehart, quote, I don't have time to edit. So basically, as long as Englehart wrote the book and turned it in on time, he was good. He was he, like, he could do whatever he wanted within the confines of the book. So here, now we pick up on page 140 of this, of Marvel Comics. The untold story goes. In this sink-or-swim spirit, Jim Starlin was tapped to plot and draw an issue of Iron Man, a comic that his roommate, Mike Friedrich, had been writing for six months. Figuring that he might never get another shot, he convinced Friedrich that they should stuff the issue with the characters Starlin had dreamed up while taking psych classes at a Detroit community college after his Navy stint. Thomas was pleased and paired Starlin with Steve Gerber for the following issue. Um, however, Stan Lee happened to see that story, deemed the results terrible, and immediately removed Starlin from the title. <laughs> um, but Thomas thought Starlin had promised he offered him a chance to work on Captain Marvel, a faltering title that Thomas had written himself before editorial duties pulled him away. The con- and so they talk, and then the, the author uh, explains to the audience who might not know who Captain Marvel is, the conveniently named Marvel. <laughs> yes. Um, blah, blah, blah. The characters had agonizingly bland personalities, but that turned out to be just the blank slate Starlin needed. At first, as he found his footing, he larded the comic with guest stars and big fight scenes just to make sure it would sell enough to keep going. Then he got adventurous. We had different points of view, different attitudes, and different things we wanted to convey, and it was a time of turmoil in the world, said Al Milgram a wisecracking, self-described frat boy who'd known Starlin growing up in Detroit and who collaborated with him on Captain Marvel. So when we were given these characters, we went off on some tangents. Indeed, Starlin decided to explore enlightenment through discipline and training, a concept he still believed in, even though it had eluded him in his own military experiences. In Starlin's hands, Captain Marvel was not so much about how much power and charisma its hero had, but about how many limits he had. He was an unenlightened mope who didn't know how to live up to his potential. Within a few issues, Captain Marvel would become cosmically aware, a process described in words that might have been gleaned from the Dampada, fortified with a generous supply of exclamation points. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Quote, This man has conquered... He's beaten vanity and pride by seeing the universe as it is. He knows what must be done and does it, but does it with a great sorrow, for this man knows truth and peace. <laughs> um, oh, that's awesome. 
I was just as crazy as everybody else post-Watergate, post-Vietnam, said Starlin, whose hobbies included motorcycles, chess, and, big surprise, lysergic acid diethylamide 25. What could that be? I wonder. Um, so each one of these, uh, so he, so then I'm um, just skipping ahead uh, a little bit, and they talk about Engelhart as well, uh, and then Engelhart meets Frank Brunner, and um, uh, so here we go. We would get together every two months, have dinner, get loaded about 10 o'clock, and stay there until 3 or 4, said Engelhart, working with Frank Brunner on uh, Doctor Strange at the time. I would, he would be thinking about what would look really cool, and I would talk about where I could go with Doctor Strange's consciousness, and we would come up with a summation that was greater than the parts. When they weren't at each other's apartments getting high, they were rampaging around with Starlin, Al Milgram, and artist Alan Weiss. Together, they'd ingest LSD and wander Death Wish-era Manhattan at all eras. <laughs> we, we sort of took New York as this vast stage set, said Weiss. We would launch ourselves to some part we hadn't seen yet and go explore day or night. So yeah, so it goes. It goes on. They reference the Rutland, Vermont Halloween parade, blah blah blah. But the point is, is that this uh, does in fact uh, um, confirm confirm that Starlin was along with Milgram and Engelhart among the crew that dropped acid, got crazy high, and went wandering around New York City in the early 1970s. So everything I've said on the podcast has been true. And uh, that's always anyways, nice. Yeah. Okay. So. So you three, need to get this book, dude. I do. <laughs> now, there's three things I, I, I take away from that. Okay, mm-hmm. the first one is actually more of a question. Okay. When I said Stan Lee thought it wasn't good on Iron Man. Right, that would have been 56, yeah. Okay, so fifty. So fifty. So they got 55, and then 56 is the one Stan Lee was like, uh, no. Yeah. So, wow, I wonder if Stan would have been okay with 55, or if, would he have nixed Thanos? Well, at that point, I don't know if he would have or not. Like I said, under Roy Thomas at that specific time, I'm if, if Stan had seen, if Stan had seen that one, right? But who knows? Because at that point, Stan had realized his his true dream. Um, he had, he'd passed the 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 comic the, the comic book company entirely over to Roy Thomas, and he was out in Hollywood working on movie and TV deals, and which is what he wanted to be doing all along. Yeah. Um, So he couldn't. So, yeah, he still had, I suppose, some sort of pride in the company that he essentially helped helped build. But frankly, I don't know how much of a crap he gave overall. He just happened to see that one issue and said, no, I I wonder if there's like artwork or scripts of that left around somewhere. I would love to see that. Um, where he was, what he would have, was going to do? I mean, was he going to do? Was he going to continue the Thanos story well, no, no, there, no. or no? Or is it? I don't know, but I think I think he actually. I think they're talking about the uh, Iron Man fifty six that actually got published. Oh, I'll have to go back and read that then. Yeah, yeah, so, and check that. So there is that. Okay, there's that too. Mm-hmm, the way mm-hmm. you describe Roy Thomas is described there. The first thing that pops into mind is the older brother Brand from the Goonies. Like, yeah, I'm supposed to be watching, but basically, as long as you don't do it, as long as you're not making noise or bothering me, I don't care what you're doing, Mikey. Yeah, that's pretty much seems to be the way he treated just about everybody. Which is actually kind of funny because who played Brand? Uh, I don't know. I have not seen that movie. Believe it or not, uh, it, you're gonna. It's gonna definitely tie in with the podcast. Oh, Josh Brolin. Oh, uh, really? Who plays currently? Thanos. Bingo. Wow, now that's something, man. We have to work that into the podcast somehow. I, I mean, I didn't plan that when I said Goonies, like who's who did Josh Brolin play? It just that's the first thing that popped in my head was Goonies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And third, 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure many people can make arguments about what books have been, you know, recently or better or whatever than Thumbs from that time period. Based on that, like things like that and other things I've read, like in Back Issue and other interviews, I would have to say there is probably no more fun a period of time to have been working in comics, possibly, mm-hmm. than maybe Marvel in the 70s. Oh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Because, especially back then, you had to live in the area. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like it was really convenient, like now where you can just send it over by email. So you're all just like you said, like they said, they're hanging out, they're going out drinking together, you're throwing ideas off each other. It's a crazy time in the world. Yeah, you know they're doing Vietnam's drugs. going on again, and it's more like at that time period still they were kind of like you know I mean well there are plenty of people who are abusing it of course, but for a lot of people it was still like the mind expansion reason. Oh, ab- not absolutely. Me. I'm trying to get high, although. I'm sure there was a lot of that going around as well. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Acid was, you know, the the mind expanding. You know, this was all this was all right. Timothy Leary to uh, turn yeah, on, tune in, and drop out. Didn't he have know? like a thing of like you're only supposed to do it like so many times? Right, something like that. But uh, <laughs> I like that it said his hobbies were were motorcycles, chess, and LSD. It's like okay, gee, you don't say. Yeah. Because we couldn't tell that at all from the uh, from what we've been reading. God, no, of course uh, not. But like, <laughs> wow, like if you were going to be in comics, like that sounds like the time to be in it. No, I agree completely. Especially, especially, I mean, think about Marvel in the early seventies, right? Because you, well, you think about the comic scene. Okay, it, it's like you're right, and I like that you specified Marvel because sadly, while DC was also undergoing some cool Bronze Age stuff at this time. Don't forget, this is when, you know, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams were rampaging through the uh, the DC uh, catalog, you know, remaking everything they could get their grubby little hands on. Um, at the same time, you had that, hey, I give all the respect in the world to the man's legacy, but the fact that to that miserable bastard Weisinger in well, charge over at DC, there was no fun being had no. at DC. From what I understood about like the people like in charge, the editors, like they were still the suit and tie wearing, mm-hmm. you know, this is how things are going, you know, official people. I mean, the writers and the artists might have been like that, but at Marvel, it seems like the, the basically the inmates took over the asylum. Right, exactly. It's like you compare, as you point out, the suit and tie Weisinger, right, with that basically that fucking hippie. Roy Thomas. Yeah. I mean, I would maybe put as, like, a, like another one, like, a era, like, I would say, like, the Golden Age would have been like that, too, mm-hmm. except that the Golden Age, they weren't, well, A, I don't think they was crazy, but also, they were just like, we're just doing this to do some work, and we're hoping to get, a lot of them are like, we're hoping to get a comic strip on the newspaper where that's where the real money and respectability is. Exactly. Here in the exactly. 70s, Stan and Jack and Steve had kind of left all the books that they had created. So it was kind of like, a, it was again, like the, like in the golden age of free for all. And the fact there was no way of doing it because it was either you're doing it Stan Jack's or Stan and Steve's way mm-hmm. or anything else. Mm-hmm. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm professor Allen and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin podcast. And every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky 
Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. And this was the time period that saw Marvel come up with um, not just Cap, you know, not just Starlin's reboot of Captain Marvel, um, but this was also the time period that saw the advent of the Man Thing and Howard the Duck and Deathlock the Destroyer and, and the X Men. And the X, well, the revamped X-Men. Well, yeah, that, well, that's what I meant. I mean, right. DC had, like, what the, around this time, too, I mean, or a few years later than now, mm-hmm. like, mid, or later 70s, the uh, DC explosion. Right, right. And maybe, you know, with Carmine Infantino taking over, and maybe it would have been the same there if they didn't, unfortunately, have the DC implosion. I mean, if that didn't implode, we might have had a more thing like that at DC in the later 70s, early 80s. Right, because that was, at that point, uh, uh, DC was doing, DC was did the same thing, as you point out. That's exactly it. They did the same thing, only a little later. So whereas Marvel brought in Starlin and Milgram and Engelhart and all these guys, you know, and they were doing the trippy early 70s Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel and Howard the Duck and, you know, all this stuff, you know, then a few years later was when DC got it and brought in, like, you know, for instance, Mike Grell and, you know, started Warlock or, you know, brought in, I, I well, not that familiar, but I think wasn't that around the time that they also revamped Doom Patrol a little bit or... Um, well, Doom Patrol came back in the mid-70s, but it only right. lasted like three or four issues. It didn't right. go anywhere, really. But, I mean, you had Mike Grell and Dave Cockrum coming up on the yeah. Legion first and then yeah. Grell doing a Warlock. I mean, sorry, mm-hmm. I said Warlock. You said it too. Warlord. Warlord. Warlord, yes. Different war something. Yes, Warlord. War, war L instead of Warlock, it's Warlord. Yes. It's almost the same word, actually. Um, but yeah, but, like uh, all, and all that stuff in the, in the uh, in DC explosion, I mean, DC, it might have been the same thing with DC just a little later, just, I think because of the implosion, that might have, uh, you know, that probably put the kibosh on that, on that fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it definitely put the kibosh on a lot of that fun. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, cool. But anyway, that's, uh, I, I have to, I have to agree with you. It's like, if I, I would definitely want to be working, like, if I could pick any time period in history to be working in comics, I would have to say I'd want it to be probably in, at Marvel in the 70s before Shooter got there. Yeah, because especially, like, I mean, yeah, they had the comics code, so there was a lot of stuff they couldn't do. But mm-hmm. I'm sure there's so much stuff that they were imply, trying to imply, or at least leaving out and putting in for themselves. Like, oh yeah, that definitely happened. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And when oh, I, yeah, Peter definitely nailed Mary Jane there. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. We're just we can't put that. But yeah, no, yeah, they definitely did. They totally did it. And, you know, even when I uh, go back and dip into that time period, you know, like the Lenmarv time period and all that. You know, every time I read something from back then, Spider-Man or Hulk or whatever, I dig on it. And I mean, part of it is nostalgia because those mid-70s Hulk and uh, Spider-Man comics were the first comics I ever read um, in my life. So, of course, there's the specific issues that I remember as my very first ones. And anything that invokes those, you know, be it 
the issues themselves are just Ross Andrew drawing Spider-Man or Sal Buscema drawing the Hulk and Len Wein writing pretty much fucking all of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and doing a fantastic job of it, by the way. It, it's just really, it holds up. It's more, it's still more fun to read than a lot of um, other stuff from the era that has maybe dated a little more, you know. Like, for instance, you know, as much as I give it all the respect in the world, when I go back and I, I read um, the very, admittedly, very worthy uh, O'Neill Adams Green Lantern, Green Arrow run, it's, like, fantastic. But at the same time, it's a little dated in ways that some of that other stuff kind of isn't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it might have been too much of its time. Yeah, yeah. Cause, and, I mean, part of it was what made it so magic at the time. One of the things that made the O'Neill Adams run so groundbreaking was how very much it was in dialogue with the world around it, which was something very new for comics. They hadn't really done that in that way before. I so mean, that's I understand that, and I give it all the props in the world for that. But then, you know, reading it 40 years later, it's not quite as, it doesn't hold up quite as well as some of the more escapist stuff from that era. Well, yeah, I think that in a way, like some of that other stuff they were talking about, you can still kind of read in like, with some minor changes of like, especially when they say the 1970s, mm-hmm. you can still put in the sliding time scale of having taken place in the character's history. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. for that stuff, you almost have to, because it's like what I did when I read the Tomb of Dracula series. Mm-hmm. You have to just read that as this takes place in the 70s. Yes. You know, this oh, t- this yes, is where this takes it. place. This has nothing to do with current time or current people. This is all then. So like almost like that, like you said, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff, you have to view it as a, like, this is in the 70s. This is not the history of Hal Jordan and Oliver Queen as they exist now. It has right. nothing to do with those guys. Different Earth. This is character. It's almost like watching 70s you know, Rockford Files. Mm-hmm, or something, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's all, that's in the 70s, so anything it has to, that dates it from the 70s, it's like, well, but this is because that's the time period it was in, you know, view it as a period piece, you know, like Captain America, the first movie, you know, it's so, you know, yeah, of course it's all in the 40s, that's when it takes place. Exactly, and that was a, and that was a smart choice. So yeah, it's all it's all really um, interesting. You know, you and me and John and other people who are like sort of zooming, ping ponging, perhaps might be better throughout uh, comic book history the way we do. Um, it's definitely an interesting experience to have uh, being, you know, who we are and when we are and as and at our particular ages of life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, I love all that stuff. I do. Have to, I am going to be getting that book soon. I need to get that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. But yes. that being said, well, now, wow, that was kind of a good little... Uh, podcast in and of itself it's midnight the podcasting hour hello listeners it's your friend pj frightful that's pj as in podcast jockey and i'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks when the clock strikes midnight the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of dc comics those supernatural sagas of Swamp Thing, Dead Man, The Spectre, and more. The Podcasting Hour. It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. 
Prepare for the unexpected. Open a doorway to nightmare and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beware. Guess what? It's feedback begging time again, where I beg you, please do something feedback-wise. What can you do? Well, you can go on iTunes and leave us a review. Preferably five stars, but I'll take anything at this point. You can also send us an email for your thoughts, criticisms, poems, whatever. Resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com Go visit our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com New episodes are posted up there, images from the issues we cover, and whatever random stuff I think of. You can also find similar things on our Facebook page. Just type in Resurrections into the Facebook search box and it'll help you find it. Also, this show is on Twitter now. It has an official Twitter feed, at AdamThanosPod. Finally, if you want more of me, go look for John Wilson's show, the new 52 Adventures of Superman. I am his co-host on the Road to Rebirth episodes, where we chronicle the issues from DC's new 52 series that lead towards the rebirth that is happening right now. There's already two episodes out. Go listen to them after we've finished this one. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.